that. You find in your bulletin this morning, there'll be, there, there's a sermon note insert there, and there's also a picture on the front. And the picture on the front of the bulletin goes with the message week by week. We're doing a series through the Bible called Route 66, one Bible book a week, trying to get the big picture. And I choose a picture that I think in some way relates to that book. This week we are in the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians, and I have titled it Jesus only. Jesus only, or, or, or better, only Jesus. Only Jesus. Nothing else. He is our way. He is our truth. He is our life. Jesus only. Only Jesus. Reminds me of a song we're actually going to sing after, after God's Word this morning. But, but the reason I put that picture in your bulletin this morning is during our recent trip to Mexico, one of the things that we got to do is we got to take this long uphill trail, and I'll warn you, Cassie McKinney is a cross-country runner. You shouldn't follow Cassie McKinney on a long uphill trail. But we, 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 we trekked up this long uphill trail, and up at the top, about a mile and a half, mile point three, something like that, there is this pyramid. <laughs> We're not in Egypt. We haven't tra- walked that far. What's this? It, was, it was an Aztec pyramid or somewhere in that era. And uh, this pyramid was established, and there was an image, an idol that was set up in this pyramid. And, and the idol was set up for the worship of a... Um, let me get this right, the pagan feathered serpent god. So I guess that's a god who's represented by a serpent with feathers. You know, uh, you know a, a serpent is special if he has feathers. So there was this, there was this uh, ser- feathered serpent god that they, would, they worshipped. That was the god of the area, the spiritual power of the area, represented by a feathered serpent. They had an idol dedicated to him for worship in the, uh, way up there high at that high place. Think about Old Testament high places. Well, it's not just Old Testament Israel. You see, they pick a highest spot, and that's the exalted place, and you set up your idol there. And that's what they had done. Well, well when... When some European missionaries came along in about the 1500s or so, the mid-1500s, they found this idol and they broke the idol down. The problem with that is they removed that image, they tore down that idol, but they soon replaced the images, the idols that they found there with other images of their own that became the same kind of idols to the people. So the Christians ended up destroying one idol and building others. It's actually something we need to be careful about. That in our worship of the one true God, we can easily, that worship can shift into idolatry where we worship something other than God himself. Religion always has the temptation of redefining God downward, closer to us. Romans 1 talks about humanity worshiping and serving the creature more than the creator. It's the creator who should be worshipped, but easily humanity worships and serves the creature, some other creature or even ourselves, rather than God as he is. Immediately right out of Egypt, after in, in the book of Exodus, the people have been redeemed out of Egypt, and immediately what do they do? They make an idol, they make an image, and they worship that. And Aaron says, here is the God who brought you out of Egypt. Well, that's funny. That God who brought us out of Egypt looks a whole lot like the gods that they had in Egypt. Because that's where they've got their concept of what God should look like from. And so they made an image. It's been said that in the beginning, God made man in his own image. 
And ever since, man has been returning the favor. Ever since we have been making God in our image, ever since we have been reimagining God as being something more like us, God is more comfortable to me that way. God is less threatening to me if God is more like I imagine God should be. Anytime you hear somebody who has some difficulty with something in the Bible that as God has revealed himself and they say, I could never be, believe in a God who, what they're also saying by that is, I'm going to define God my way. And this becomes not the God who made me, this becomes the God of my making, of my definition. Idols made with our own hands. The book of Colossians is meant to protect us from making Jesus to be something different, something less than Jesus really is. The book matters because who Jesus really is is what makes us who we really are in him. You see, we lose, tra- we lose sight of both of those two. We lose sight of who Jesus really is and we lose sight of who we really are. We trade both of those for something less, something cheaper. Who Jesus really is is what makes us who we really are in him. I'll say that a few more times. You'll be stuck with it by the time you leave here this morning, all right? Well, except Christina Hood. She won't. Everybody else will. Who Jesus really is... Now, Christina is the only one who knows why that was funny. That's why none of the rest of you laughed. Who Jesus really is is what makes us who we really are in him, right? So that's why Colossians is given to us. This book is addressed to everyday people in an everyday town. The the city of Colossae is a town that Paul apparently didn't even visit. He hadn't seen them face to face. But folks from Ephesus, where Paul stayed for an extended period of time, the church from there planted a church in Colossae as well. Colossae had been a big deal, had been a big city, but it was one of those places that time seemed to leave it behind. Ephesus became the capital of the region. Uh, its next-door neighbor, the, the, the city of Laodicea, grew up and overtook Colossae. Colossae was kind of like, oh, think of around here, think of Longview. A city that has been very important, an important port and so forth, and yet it seems to, its importance and significance has declined over time. People come further down the river to the big port at Portland, or they even use a smaller, newer port at Kalama. Kalama. And, and Longview gets left behind. And people in Longview feel like, We've been overlooked. We've been left behind. But they mattered. They mattered to God. So so some of the, the greatest picture, portrayal, definitions of who Jesus really is is given to this church in small town Colossae. It's a town that had a New Age sort of philosophy. Uh, it was a place with a lot of spiritism, also a, a newer form that, was, that became known as Gnosticism, was growing up already, and so new ideas. Now, echoes of Gnosticism, you think, well, what is that? What does that matter to me? Echoes of Gnosticism still exist around us today, a redefinition of who God is and therefore who Jesus is. You saw it in the film Noah. The film Noah follows the storyline, not of the Bible. I'm talking about the recent movie that was this last year. It doesn't follow the storyline of the Bible, so don't get all upset when they change things a little bit. It follows very accurately the storyline of something called Kabbalah, which is a popular faith or religious belief system that's been kept popular by Hollywood especially. And, uh, but it, 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 
it comes out of first and second century Gnosticism. It's a Jewish mystic Gnosticism. And uh, it's interesting in that movie, just to remind you of a couple of highlights, God is diminished, God is less powerful and less good. God has a dark side in that movie, God the Creator does. And interestingly, the hero of the story is not God or his son. The hero of of the story is not Noah. The hero of the story, you remember who it is? It's the serpent. Wow, where did this come from? There's a whole twist on the thing, isn't it? And uh, so God is to blame. The serpent of the garden is the hero, not the villain. In the movie version of Noah, which gives us an example, present day, of how the whole image of God can be twisted. The book of Colossians is written for that reason. Because who Jesus really is, is what? Is what makes us who we really are in him. All right, so let's get into the book of Colossians and who really is Jesus. And I gave you, in your notes, I gave you several words that we're going to talk about, and instead of just talking about them, I would like to read. I'm going to read several verses in uh, Colossians chapter 1, and then we'll we'll highlight. So Colossians chapter 1, let's pick it up in uh, verse 13. Verse 13 of Colossians chapter 1, speaking of Jesus... Well, actually, first speaking of God and then the beloved Son, Jesus, and then he'll be talking about Jesus from there forward. God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him are all things were all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he, Jesus, might be preeminent. In everything Jesus might be preeminent. For in Jesus, all the fullness of the Godhead is pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself, to bring back together all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So then... There's Jesus. There is our Jesus. What, who is our Jesus? Who is Jesus really? Jesus is our Redeemer. In him we have redemption. That assumes the fall. That assumes a lostness, doesn't it? The, the, a Redeemer, a rescue, a pain of a price for sin assumes that sin is an issue and that sin needs to be redeemed, and so it does. Jesus is our Redeemer. In him we have forgiveness of sin. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. John 18, John chapter 1, verse 18 says that no man has seen God at any time. But wait, the only begotten Son, Jesus, who is in the bosom of the Father, who is close relationship with the Father, He has revealed Him. He has made Him known. He has shown Him to us. So that Jesus tells Thomas in John 14, when Thomas says, Oh, Lord, we don't follow this. We don't know what you're talking about. But listen, just show us the Father. That'll be enough for us. And Jesus 
I imagine maybe even shook his head a little bit. And he said, oh, Thomas, Thomas, have you been with me this long and you don't know? He who has seen me has seen the Father. Because Jesus, as Hebrews said, is the express image of God's nature. To see Jesus is to see God translated into humanity. He is the visible manifestation of the invisible God so that the disciples could fall on their knees before him as Thomas did and say, my Lord and my God. Jesus is God himself. He is the redeemer. He is the image of God. He is the word. He is the expression of God. Jesus is also creator for by him all things were created. John chapter 1 verse 3 says, Apart from him was not anything made that was made. That means everything. He's the creator of everything. This is not just an important issue in the interpretation of Genesis or maybe the Gospel of John, but the identity of Jesus is the foundation of our salvation. The identity of Jesus is the foundation of our morality. Because he created us. He made us, it says, in his own image. That matters. Why does that matter? I'm not an animal. I'm not just top of the food chain. I was made, you were made to be the capstone of God's creation. To to reign as his regents, as his rulers over his creation. That's what we were made for. That's what we have before of us. That's what, that, that, that's what awaits us. That's what God has, has intended and will fulfill. It's not an accident of evolution that we have to be on top because we outsmarted the other animals. No, because then I might as well act just like if survival of the fittest is true, if I'm stronger than you, I can just take what you've got. But we're not animals, are we? No, our, our, our behavior is ruled in a very different basis. Not out of who's stronger and who's weaker, but there's right and there's wrong. And where does that come from? It comes from the one who is outside of me, whom I'm accountable to because he made me for his purposes. So creator becomes very important. He is our creator all things, heaven and earth, visible, invisible, spirit, world, reality. Don't, don't, it's, it's interesting, in our materialistic culture, we easily downplay the spirit world. We want to downplay spiritual things going on. But there is a whole, there, there's a host of reality beyond our material senses. There, there is spiritual reality, angels and principalities and powers that are at play in this world that sometimes we're more aware of, sometimes less aware of. But we are made as, as fleshly humans yet to be spiritually aware. And then in spiritual relationship with God and that there is a whole host of spiritual agenda at play that we're in the midst of and we're a part of. We don't need to get all uptight about that and freaking out and there's a demon behind every bush and any of that. But there are spiritual realities of this world that we as fleshly people in Africa, the, 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 the African people, the Bantu people of southern Africa are very spiritually aware. And they're also people terrified. They live in fear of the spirits of their ancestors. Not knowing what their ancestors might do if they're displeased with them, but they know that they are spirit beings and yet we are still mere mortal. So they can touch us, it's believed, but we can't touch them. So they live in fear. But we have been indwelt by the spirit of the living God. 
The God who made all things. Spirit, I, I don't need to f- fear anything material, anything visible. I don't need to fear anything invisible or immaterial, spiritual, because the spirit of the living God himself dwells within us, the God who made us. He is not only our creator, he is our sustainer. He is before all things in priority and and, and authority, and he holds all things together. He sustains all things. He holds everything together by the word of his power, Hebrews said. So there's a lot in Hebrews in John chapter 1 that echoes this this revelation concerning Christ. He sustains us. It has been said that Jesus is the one who makes the cosmos. Now cosmos, okay, okay, we have a little fun here. Just a little bit of a brain break. Have a little bit of fun. You know where the word cosmetics comes from? Cosmetics comes from the word cosmos. It's a Greek word. And cosmos means to order, to arrange. So somebody has said that cosmetics is to make order out of chaos. I don't know how that looks in your morning, but we'll, we'll move on. Okay? It's, it's been said that Jesus is the one who makes cosmos out of the chaos. He is the orderer and the arranger of all things. He made it all and he set it in order and he holds it together. Some of the basics of physics of how an individual atom is made uh, told me when I was a student in school that seems like with all those electrons that don't like each other and mutually repel each other, that thing ought to just fly apart. And yet it doesn't. Our God, our Creator, our Jesus holds all things together by the word of His power. He's the sustainer of all things. He is the Lord. He is the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning, the creative initiative of the church. He's the one that started this. Hebrews says He's the author, the beginner, and the finisher or perfecter or the one who brings us along. He started it. He'll finish it. Philippians said, He who began a good work in you will be faithful to finish, complete it. He's the Lord. He's the beginner. He's the creative initiative. He's also the firstborn from the dead. Here is our identity. One's called out of death, called out by him who was raised out of death for us. He dies for us, and we are joined in his death and his resurrection. Death is a terrible thing. Death is a miserable thing. Death is the last enemy that will be ultimately defeated. And for the families in our church who who have tasted Death's visit recently. The pain is the separation, isn't it? There's the ache. There's the hurt. There's the loss. That sorrow mingled with hope, knowing that my loved one is in the presence of the Lord. And yet, for now, separated from me. There's the loss. But even that enemy of separation of death will be ultimately ended and brought to an end by our Lord, who is the Lord of death as well. So that in everything, in everything, even in that which is the final leveler of all humanity, in everything, Christ will have preeminence in death through death to resurrection in everything he might be preeminent, in the church and in our redemption, because he who is the very fullness of God dies for us to reconcile us back to God to present you holy and blameless in God's presence. He's the peacemaker. He has made peace between us and God, between each one of us one to another. He is our peace, the book of Ephesians tells us. Oh, wait a minute, if you've been really paying attention, if Jesus is God... How did Jesus die? Did you catch that? 
If Jesus is God, but Jesus really died, he died in our place, how does Jesus die if Jesus is God? Oh, no. Does God cease to exist? Oh, wait a minute. No, no, only part of God did. Because is Jesus only part of God because there's the Father and there's the Spirit? No, don't, don't, don't become a heretic in your th- concept of God. See, what we tend to do, because our brains are smaller than God, did you know that? You're, you are smaller than God. And so we don't comprehend God any more than a pot is a, a clay pot cannot comprehend the potter. The thing made does not comprehend the one that made it. Okay, that's not surprising. So I've been made by him, so God is bigger than me. If I can fully comprehend God, my God is too small. So don't worry that you don't quite get the Trinity. That's okay. God is bigger than us. God is bigger than our, our ability to comprehend him. We can know what we know about him from his word. And yet we are told that Jesus is God. The fullness of the Godhead is in him. The one who's seen Jesus has seen God, and yet Jesus died. How can that be? What is death? Death is not end. Death is not secession, and then that a person ceases to exist. Death is not secession. Death is separation. And what happens when Jesus dies? Jesus, for the first time ever, the Trinity is ripped apart in separation. Jesus is separated from his Father for the first time ever in eternity for you and I in order to bring us back to God. Jesus didn't cease to exist. He ceased to exist in harmony and fellowship with his Father because our sins separated him from God, even as death separates us from a loved one. And then Jesus is raised from the dead, and he ascends into heaven. Where does he sit? At the right hand of the majesty on high, right alongside his Father, because sin has been put away. It's done. And just as there's nothing more to separate Jesus from his Father, there's nothing more need separate you from God the Father if you are in Jesus. His death becomes your death. His resurrection becomes your resurrection. Who Jesus really is is what makes us who we really are in him, which is redeemed, which is reconciled, which is at peace. So be careful, Paul writes to these Colossians. In the midst of all the swirling new ideas around them, he writes to them in verse 4 of chapter 2. Let's jump back into Colossians again. Chapter 2, verse 4. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. It seemed to make sense. about Well, Jesus can't be that. How could he be both God and human and to begin to try to pick it apart according to the limits of our own minds? Look at verse 8 and 9. 8, 9, 10. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy, empty deceit, according to the human tradition, according to the elementary spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells bodily. He is God in flesh. That's what Emmanuel means, God with us. And you have been made full in him who is the head of all rule and authority. That's the verse that Ethan read when we were, when we were in worship before, before this time. That he, he read verses 9 and 10 that in Jesus is all the fullness of the Godhead and you are made full in him. You see Paul's wordplay? In him is the fullness, and we are made full in him. We look for our fullness. We look for our completeness. We look for significance and what matters in life in all kinds of other places. And yet we were made for it to be found 
in God and God alone. That's where our completeness is found. That's where our fullness is found. And so if we want to live, that's where we would find it. And he says, don't be misled, don't be deceived, don't be fooled into, into exchanging for anything less. When we went to Mexico, you could get your money exchanged in, in different places. But be careful where you exchange your money because you might get a different rate of exchange. You may exchange it for less than its true value actually is. And we can do that with our confidence in God, with our faith in God, with our understanding of who Jesus really is. We can exchange it for something less. He says, don't let anybody cheat you that way. Don't let anybody deceive you. In him we are, we are made new, chapter 2, verse 11. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. You have, been, you have put off that old person that you were. You have been made new. Having been buried with him, verse 12, in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. We have been made new in Christ. We have been raised with Christ. And you who were dead in trespasses, verse 13, and then circumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses. We have been made new. We have been raised up in Christ. We have been made alive in Christ. All of our sin canceled, verse 14, canceling the record of dead that stood against us with his demands that he set aside, nailing to his cross. We are forgiven. Verse 18, I put in your notes, we are legit. We are legitimate. Don't let anybody tell you that you might barely squeak into heaven if God is in a good mood. No, you get into heaven with the same abundance that folks got into the campground on my name. Well, you have got a name better than my name. And you will get into a better place, the very presence of God, because of Jesus. Look at verse 18. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism, self-denial, the worship of angels or spirits, going on in details about visions puffed up with reason about their own sensuous mind. Don't be deceived. Don't be misled. Don't be disqualified. Don't let anybody take your simple faith in Christ and say that's not sophisticated enough. Only Jesus Jesus only. Who Jesus really is is what makes us who we really are in him. We are made new. We are raised because he is raised. We are made alive. We are forgiven because he died for us. We are legitimately fully accepted in Christ. We are free. We are free from any other rules or laws trying to earn God's approval. Well, if that's who we really are in Jesus, what difference does it make? It makes a difference. Colossians is like Ephesians. Colossians has two chapters of essential truth about Jesus and Christians who believe in Jesus. And then it has two chapters about what difference does that make. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. If you then have been risen with Christ. And you just said we have been. If you're a believer in Christ, you've been risen with Christ. If you then have been risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sits at the right hand of God. Set your own minds, your affections on things above, not on the things of the earth. Because you are dead in Christ. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. This isn't all it is. You feel like, I seem like life was supposed to be more than this. It is, and it will be. Your life is hidden with Christ in God when Christ, who is our life, 
is revealed, is manifest, shall appear, then shall you also be unveiled with him in glory. Then we'll see things as they really are. Then we'll even understand ourselves as God has already seen us in Christ. It was Bengal that said, I think I gave you this note, this quote in your notes, the world knows neither Christ nor Christians. The world doesn't get Jesus. The world doesn't get Christians. The world knows neither Christ nor Christians, and Christians do not fully know themselves. We have not yet seen what we will be, John writes in 1 John, but when he appears, we'll be like him. We'll see him as he is. Don't give yourself rules and lists and forms and shadows. Don't hunger for something more spiritual than knowing Christ. What difference does it make? Seek those things which are above. What does that mean? Can you get more specific? Oh, yeah, I can get specific. Let's get specific, shall we? Look at verse 5. Put to death, therefore, chapter 3, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, desiring somebody else's stuff. So we start from desiring somebody else's body. We end desiring somebody else's stuff. It's not about pleasing myself. Philippians told us it's about laying down ourselves for the sake of others, serving rather than being served. Those things are idolatry. Verse 6, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you two once walked when you were living in them, but that doesn't fit who you now are in Christ. Look at verse 8. Where's verse 8? I lost verse 8. There it is. But now you must put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk with your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. You're new in Christ, and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. It's not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, right family. But Christ is all in all, only Jesus. Put on then. Watch this. Here, let's get specific, interpersonally, one-to-one, together. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. You see what he starts? You see the basis of anything we're told to do? It's because you are God's chosen ones. You are beloved by God and holy and blameless before him if you believe in Jesus. On that basis then, begin to lean life that direction. Begin to live toward eternity rather than toward the past, which is already out of date. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has to complain against one another, forgiving each other. On what basis? Even as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts. He gets very specific about what difference it makes who I am really because of who Jesus is. If you, as you read on in chapter 3, you get into family, husbands and wives. I'll leave that for homework. Oh, speaking of work, it goes on to the work relationship. End of chapter 3, first verse of chapter 4. Uh, you, in your work. I know it speaks of slaves, and, well, some of you tell me that's about what it feels like. So there we are. And in the midst of your work, in the midst of your serving and working for somebody, the man, don't, you're not working for the man. You're working for the Lord. 
It is the Lord Jesus Christ whom we serve in our workaday world. And you who are masters, you who are bosses, you who are supervisors, you who are managers, you who are owners, you own nothing, really. He's the owner of everything. Jesus is the owner of everything, and so remember that you too have a, have a Lord in heaven and carry out our oversight and our responsibilities in that mind. It matters. It matters. To boil it all the way down, there's a couple of closing, uh, closing admonitions. Verse 2 of chapter 4, continually, continue steadfastly in prayer. Pray more. Verse 5, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to, ans- ought to answer each and every person. It gets real practical. But what we do... What we say flows out of who we are now and what we have received in Christ because of who Jesus really is. Why? Because who Jesus really is is what makes us who we really are in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you, Father, for our Savior. We thank you that not only is this a matter of who Jesus is and deserves to be honored and glorified, he didn't leave it there. He came here. And he lived and died for us. Oh, Lord, that we would live and die for him, the one who loved us and gave himself for us. Lord, that, that his life would be seen in our lives in the exact ways that was described here, the things that we say, how we act, how we build up one another, even at the end of this service, the kind things we say, the compassion that we show, the invitation that we extend, how we share what we have with those around us. Oh, Lord, how, how parents love their children, how children honor and respect their, their, their parents, how we work for those who we work for, serving the Lord there. Lord, in all of these ways and more, use us to live already for the future that you have made us for. Lord, even now as we receive this morning's offering, these things are given not out of obligation. Lord, this Sunday is not about coming to church or doing anything by habit. Sunday is about Jesus, our risen Savior. These gifts that we now bring Lord, we give them out of love for the one who loved us. Use them, Lord, for your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.